Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 18 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 11th of October 2009, entitled The Fundamentals, His Visible Return, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-17. to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. If you'd like to be opening your Bibles, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we'd like to read verses 1 through 17 as I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word. Again, beginning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. Well, that day shall not come except there comes a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Well, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now leadeth will lead until he be taken out of the way. Then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the work of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful privilege, not only of being in your house with each other, but most of all to know that your presence is here with us. Thanking you, Lord, for your word that you have preserved for us that we can have it today and your spirit that lives within us, Lord, that might give us clear understanding. Now, Father, we pray and realize that you know every heart of every individual here better than we know ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you might use your word and the power of your spirit, not man nor flesh nor the words of man, 
but that you yourself may speak to the hearts of each and every one. Save that which is lost. Restore the backslider. Draw every Christian closer to you and strengthen them and build them up in the faith that we all might leave here today more like our Savior than when we came. For it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. Of course, without going back and reviewing all that we've looked at, this is now our 18th sermon, the series of Contending for the Faith. And as we have moved into the subject of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, Jesus Christ our Lord, we began in our last two sermons looking at the visible return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we continue to look there this morning, the visible return of Christ, or if you would, the second coming of Christ, as we often refer to it, we've looked already concerning this matter. We've looked at, first of all, defining the importance. And we asked ourselves and looked at just how important is it what we believe about the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. And second of all, we looked at describing the meaning. What do we mean by the second coming of Christ? And of course, as we know this morning, is if we know how important that this visible return is, how important it is to our, our faith, and we understand what it is that we are talking about, then how is it going to take place? I believe that of necessity, really, that I'd like to lay a bit of groundwork before getting too much into the details of our Lord's return. Keep in mind that I have said several times in this series that there are things that are fundamental to our faith, so much so. They are so foundational that to believe otherwise would be to forsake the true faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is this kind of apostasy of turning away from that faith, of that truth, that is precisely what we are warned about in the book of Jude when we looked there in beginning this series and we were instructed to contend for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The problem is it was happening then and it's happening now. Sometimes, well, we as believers, those that, even genuinely care about the truth. Sometimes it's really hard to look and know where to draw the line between those things that cannot under any circumstance be compromised and those other things that are of such extreme importance to us that it affects our fellowship and oneness with those around us. It's sometimes a challenge to, to know how to 
handle these things. And I assure you, the topic of the second coming is a very prime example. Let me explain. First of all, the visible return of Christ to the earth. As we said, we'll be referring to it often as the second coming. It is such a fundamental, foundational, cardinal truth of the Christian faith that you cannot deny it and still be speaking of the same faith. Yes, there are those that claim to be part of the Christian faith and yet deny the truth, and folks, that just isn't possible. However, the details and the timing of that visible return can vary significantly amongst different Christian groups, folks that really are saved, folks that really genuinely are born again. To believe that he is personally coming is fundamental. You cannot change that. But to make the exact details and timing of that return, to make it fundamental is, in my humble opinion, a mistake from the fact that you can still be part of the Christian faith and not be right <laughs> about those things. Yet, the details and the timing of this great event, they are of such great importance that you would undoubtedly find it challenging to be a member of one of those churches that believed otherwise, not because they're heretics and not really Christians, but if they hold a significantly different view of these details, it would of necessity affect most all of their teachings in the Scripture that dealt with prophecy and end-time events. The truth is, the Bible gives us many details concerning Christ's second coming. Most of the divisions come from whether we take what God says, these details that he gives us, whether we take them at their literal meaning as he says them, as real events, or whether we spiritualize them and make them symbolic for the most part. It's not that people reading are reading different Bibles. The Bible is saying the same thing. But I make no apologies this morning for the fact that as we look at these details today, unless God himself gives us reason to look at something other than the way that he says it, we look at it the way that he says it. Some churches would state simply that they believe in the fundamental truth of the second coming, and that's it. They don't go any further. <laughs> it's an attempt to not be divisive by touching on details that people can have such different ideas about. Well, folks, listen, with all love, that is their prerogative if they want to do that. It's a choice of any local church 
to make the choice to stand where they are going to stand. But may I say this morning, in my opinion, a very dangerous position to take. Will they never preach or teach on the second coming, Brother Steve? Will they just avoid all that God has to say about end-time events? Will they not consider the books of prophecy that God has given as part of the whole counsel of God? You see, if they are to preach and to teach these things as they should, they've got to interpret them in some way. And to have people teaching these matters from different perspectives, which often happens in these churches that take no stand, can only bring confusion and division amongst the church body, which is supposed to be at unity and oneness with each other. So understand, we put it on our sign out front, and I mean it today, speaking the truth in love. I cannot say anything other than I believe that it is wrong and dangerous for a church not to take a stand upon the word of God because that it might offend someone else. And let me say, I realize and recognize that I have brothers and sisters in Christ that are preaching the same gospel that we are preaching right here, that have a different view as to the timing of this. And that's their choice. I accept them as my brothers and sisters in Christ. But let me say, as clearly and as lovingly as I can, the issue is too important to pretend that it doesn't matter. Thank God that we stand together on the fundamental issue of Jesus personally, visibly returning to this earth. But if you would allow me to say so, I think it would be kind of ludicrous and naive to think that as much as I love them, that I could be a part of that assembly and be at one with them with such different views upon how we are going to accept what God says to us from his word. In a nutshell, so to speak, we can't honestly look at this fundamental doctrine of the second coming of Christ, of his visible return, and yet not cover some of the major details of that event, of which the Bible has very much to say. But let us keep things in perspective. In the first instance, we're not ashamed to declare our firm belief in the visible return of Christ to this earth and to stand upon this as a fundamental, foundational, cardinal truth of the Christian faith. Praise God for that. We are unashamed of our position as to the details of this great event also, though, which we'll lay out in this series and believe them to be of such importance for the unity and the fellowship of the local church that our position is laid out clearly in our statement of faith not to try to divide the others but that we might be unified for everyone to read and for the membership of this body to be unified and accountable to one doctrinal belief. We recognize we have brothers and sisters that we genuinely love that though we be in agreement on the fundamental issue of his return, we differ 
on the view of the details relating to that event and to their timing. I am not saying, folks, they are not heretics. They're part of the same faith and the same family of God. But as I've said, it would be wrong to pretend oneness on this issue and pretend that it didn't matter to the unity of our local fellowship. It's also of this particular preacher's opinion that to sidestep or to avoid the issue altogether will of necessity either bring shallowness to the preaching and the teaching when they begin to reach into God's Word on the prophetic teaching of His Word. It'll open the floodgates for confusion and division amongst the fellowship. The issue is of too great importance to straddle the fence and try to avoid. Now that said, hopefully making it clear how important that the details to this fundamental truth is, yet trying to keep it clear what is fundamental to the Christian faith as a whole and what is of extreme importance for the unity and growth of this local body here. We can't possibly claim a truth to be so foundational without looking at some of those details. Particularly when Scripture has so very much to say about it. Now, the following part of this sermon concerning our Lord's return, though admitted, we are speaking on the fundamentals and we're moving from what would necessarily be fundamental to be part of the faith, but moving to that which is extremely important to our fellowship, we must look at it. We want to take time to look at some of the important details of the action that's taking place at this visible return of the second coming of Christ. And as we look at the scriptures detailing that event, and as we look at all that is taking place, I've done a timeline, a chart, if you would, which hopefully will make things a bit clearer for you to understand as you look at it. Some of you will have seen something similar before, but I've just expanded it and colored it and added a few more verses in there. <laughs> but as we look at this, it'll hopefully allow you to see more clearly how these events line up in God's Word. Now, I said, you know, that I realize that Everyone out there doesn't uh, agree with my view of these things, and everyone won't agree with my timeline of how they're taking place, but that's okay. People have the right to be wrong if they want to, right? I've tried to take the Scriptures, and I've tried to just lay them out in a simple place, place them chronologically on a timeline so that you can see all those Scriptures from all the different parts of the Bible all together to see how these events unfold in the end time. Now, first of all, if we're to understand this, you will notice that on the chart on the screen that you see the return of Christ here and the return of Christ here, but you see a banner across here, Christ's second coming. You see, 
We've got to realize that the event that we're referring to is the second coming of Christ. It's one event, but it takes place in two stages. If we don't understand that, some of the scriptures, even the one that we've just read from 2 Thessalonians, can become confusing and begin to get things in the wrong places and some things seem to contradict because we're not looking at God's word as he's given it to us. Remember, God doesn't give us his word and his spirit, his spirit to confuse us. It's that we might understand spiritual matters. We're going to look at four things really as we break down this chart over the next weeks. First of all, we're going to look at the rapture of his church in the air. That's the first stage. And then we're going to look at the return with his church to the earth. That's the second stage. Then we're going to look at the reign with his church on the earth. And then finally, the result of his coming on eternity. And I hope that as we look at these things that we'll see from the outset that it's not hard to understand if we just take God for what he says. We'll see as we talk about this second coming of Christ that from the outset of stage one to the conclusion at stage two that there's a total of seven years in there on your timeline. Now, there's a lot taking place during that seven years, both in heaven and here upon this earth. And if we're to understand the scriptures, even the one that we've looked at this morning, we've got to recognize this. We can look at all kinds of events taking place around us all the time. And as we think of these events, some of them are instantaneous. I mean, they're just a matter of a second or even a fraction of a second. They're done. But then some events take a few minutes. Others actually take more than a few minutes. Some events actually take hours. And of course, some events take place and last for days, weeks, months, some events even take years that happen around us. One war may go on for many years, and yet it's still one war. It's one event, but it's filled with lots of actions taking place in lots of different places. This event, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's one event, but it's taking place over a period of seven years, which in fact, folks, we're the ones that struggle with time a lot of times. Seven years with God, that's pretty instantaneous in comparison to eternity. <laughs> it's nothing. <laughs> and you need to keep in mind that during this event of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, during that event, we will see that literally every Christian that has ever lived. Everybody that makes up the whole body of Christ, every one of them are going to be dealt with during that seven-year period. 
plus. All those that are left here on earth after the church is taken out of here, they're all going to be dealt with during that seven years in one way or another. So there's a lot taking place. And it's really a pretty short time, a pretty short flash when you look at all that is going on during that time. And of course, that's why that we must be careful. When the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 was writing to the church there, he told them of several events that were going to have to take place. Now, notice that he begins by making it very clear. Now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. The whole greeting as he's bringing up the subject is centered around the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice he says, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. We find that if you're not looking at the second coming of Christ in its proper perspective, then we can begin to look at all of these things because this is suddenly what he's talking about, and he's talking about not being deceived, not letting things shake you up, not letting things knock you about. And, of course, he goes on to mention a few specific things. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, I've heard some people over the years that like to use that verse as what we call a scapegoat, <laughs> as an excuse for not doing anything for God. Well, we've got hardly anybody left, but God said that's the way it's got to happen before he, he comes back. So, you know, it's almost like they're doing God a favor by not going out and winning souls and, and, and letting the church die in numbers. They're doing God a favor because that's what's got to happen before he comes back. Folks, you're not going to stop the great falling away spiritually and numerically and all of these different ways around us. That doesn't mean that our church has to die in order for the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we have to have less people so that the Lord Jesus Christ can return. He's just saying there's going to be a great falling away. Now, there's a whole lot of things that we could talk about there. We know around us, I mean, in, in this country and, and, and across the Atlantic, we know that countries at one time stood proudly and proclaimed their faith in our holy God, they're ashamed to do that anymore. We could go through the list, but I don't need to. You know what's happening around us. You know what's happening to the spiritual fabric of our countries. There is a great falling away in that sense. There are churches that are dying. There are those that are falling away all the time from the, from the truth, even, even many times when they may be growing numerically. They could be falling away spiritually. And of course, you've got to keep in mind. Some people get confused because if they're not looking at the second coming of Christ as one event that includes his return for his church and his return with his church, that they begin to think that some of the things that must take place 
that his second coming has to take place before that he comes back. Matter of fact, he goes on, he says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Antichrist that is going to set himself up and many, many, many people are going to be fooled by it. Now, some people would think that that had to take place before the rapture because they're not looking at the second coming of Christ in its entirety. Folks, it's taking place at the second. It's one of many events. That day is not going to come. We're not going to see the conclusion of that event until that son of perdition, the Antichrist, is revealed. And he will be revealed during this seven years of tribulation here upon this earth. But we'll come back to that later. I just want you to recognize that it's easy to get confused. You see, the first thing, the first stage, you notice that the first thing on the timeline there is the present age. That's where we all are. We're all living there happily on planet Earth. But I believe that we are, if you would, where my arrow is, we are, folks, we're right at the end of it. <laughs> I believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches us in Brother Steve, the imminent return. There is nothing left to be done that must be done that would prevent the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the first stage of his second coming to rapture his church from this earth. Nothing in God's word. Yes, there are many things that have been fulfilled. And there are others that we will be fulfilled before the culmination, before the end of that second coming. But there is nothing to prevent it happening right now in the next second on this planet Earth. We find that if you look at two passages in your Bible, in 1 Thessalonians, just a few pages back from where you already are there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. He said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that have fallen asleep, those that are dead, those that are in the grave. And of course, if they are a child of God, when they lay down that body, they are just sleeping. They're, they're, they're not gone. And we don't believe in soul sleep, and there's many reasons for that, but the body itself is just awaiting. It's in a resting place. He says that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain 
shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, keeping your place right there, turn back just a few places, in a few pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to read just picking up in verse 51 through 58. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's speaking, remember here, to the believers, to the Christians, to the church at Corinth. He says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, in light of this, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know, that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, as you look on the chart that is up there, you'll notice that I've put two little squares right here. First of all, we've got the resurrection of the dead in Christ. The Bible says they're going to be raised incorruptible. You know, we all have corruption in our bodies right now. That's it. We're going to be raised incorruptible. You know, when we get that new glorified body, nothing will wear out on it, Brother Peter. <laughs> nothing will break. You won't have to worry about whether you can get into the GP on time. It's all been taken care of ahead of time. We only know of preventive medicines, and it's all been prevented by God himself. Amen. There'll be no, no need for Sister Cherry and her nurse friends. There'll be no need for the doctors. That new body is going to be raised incorruptible. And, of course, he's giving this to us here to comfort each other with these words because as children of God, you know, why do we have to fear death? He's asking, you know, you know, where's the sting of death? We don't have to worry about it. Why? Because we've got the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we find that the very next thing, now, you'll notice that on the chart there, you've got the resurrection of the dead in Christ and right next to it, the renovation of the living in Christ. Matter of fact, if you have to leave this world before the rest of us by way of the cemetery, you get a head start on us when, we, when this event takes place. You get to jump. The dead in Christ shall rise first, he says. Oh, then. But that's just because they got six feet further to go, I reckon. <laughs> Because he says, we meet them together in the air. And of course, that's why we find that we won't all sleep. We won't all be in the grave. Somebody's going to still be alive when that trumpet sounds, Brother Lynn. And he says that when it does, 
We're going to meet him in the air. He says we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You see, they're being raised incorruptible. They get the head start, that six feet. We're right there with them in the air. We're being changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. And all the corruption of this sinful body is gone. It's put away forever and forever. We find that there's all kind of pictures portraying this event. What I want you to realize is that we will see as we begin to, to try to look and understand some of the things, some of the other passages as we look through this, speaking of the second coming, this is where it begins. This is where he's talking about coming as a thief in the night when nobody knows. You ever had a thief call you up and say, I'd like to make an appointment to break in your house at 3 a.m. on such and such date? No, he's going to try to surprise you. He's going to come in when you don't know, when you least expect him. Well, the Bible's just using this illustration. You know, God's not going to call up and make an appointment to make sure you're ready for him. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth, it'll be in an instant. The simple truth is, is that in the first stage, he doesn't come all the way to the earth. He comes in the air, the Bible said. The same Jesus. Remember when his disciples, when we looked and they were standing there and they were gazing up into the sky? And the angel said, what are you gazing at, you men of Galilee? What, what, are you, what are you looking at up there? Don't you realize this same Jesus is coming again in like manner? The same way that he went away, he's coming again. And you see, that's why that when we begin to look at all these things that have to do with the, with the second coming of the Lord, may I say this right now? How can I say it kindly? Too many people try to be too smart for themselves. And the simple truth is we used to have a, a country saying we're like the too smart for their own breaches. <laughs> and, and, and some people just want to know everything that God hasn't chose to tell us. Tell us. Now, I'm going to give you, as we get to this point, when we look at the seven years of tribulation and some of those events, we're not going to go through everything that's taken place. We took a long, 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 long time here going through the book of Revelation sometime back and going through all the events that are taking place. All we're wanting you to grasp now is the details of what is going on during the second coming and when and where that they're taking place in that whole picture. But I'll give you a chart, if you would, for you to take with you that you can look at these passages in Revelation again. God hasn't given it to you to bring confusion. But don't try to be so clever that you try to figure out the things that God hasn't told us there. You know, the important thing is, you know, I can look at that and I know. I believe, just as sure as we're sitting here, that when God talks about being a, a mark of the beast, there's going to be a mark of the beast. I don't know exactly how it's going to work. I don't know exactly how it's going to be uh, be. Um, put up on people and how that it's going to be used. I do know without any shadow of doubt, I believe God is genuine. He is real. Without that mark, you'll not be able to buy or sell or do anything. At one time we thought, well, you know, that's silly. You know, how could that happen? And yet now, when we look at the, with the one world currencies and the monies and the plastics and the control and everything else of the finances, folks, that's not hard to believe now to understand that it'd be very easy to shut somebody up. 
we're coming closer and closer and closer to a cashless society all the time. That doesn't mean that you're going to do one lick of good by cutting up your plastic and saying, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Folks, it's going to happen. The truth is, it is coming. Matter of fact, if I can charge a bit more and get God to hurry up, I'll do that. You know, <laughs> We don't want to be involved with the things. Well, that's the way the system, we ought to be able to look at it as Christians and say, wow, I do see how that is. You know that people have tried to spend years to work out, you know, who the whore is and who Babylon is and all these different things in Scripture. Can I say this kindly and lovely? Don't get so sidetracked on issues that you'll never know the answer to until they happen. I know they're interesting. I've looked at some things, but you can find just about as many different views out there as you want. And in the end, if God hasn't said it, you don't know that it's fact. What you ought to be realizing is that, boy, it could be this and it could be this. And wow, you know, we're there. It's not hard to figure out. You know, whether it's, whether it's you know, whether it's a, a, a nation or whether it's some, some, some religious organization or whether it, the fact is, yeah, I've got some speculations on some of those things that I think they are. That's not what I'm going to get up here and tell you the way that it is. Try to understand. You know what the events of the second coming should do to you more than anything in all the world? It should cause you not to spend all your time trying to figure out the things that God has chosen not to tell you. It ought to have you spending your time to be ready in the next instant, in the next moment. If you're here, and if you don't have that certainty of knowing that if the Lord comes in the next instant, that you're ready to meet him, then now's the time to do it. And as we look at the events of the second coming, it should. Challenge people that already know the Lord Jesus Christ to recognize that our time is short. Who do you know? Who do you love? Who do you care about that needs to be one to Christ before the trumpet sounds? We'll look at some of these things, but I can tell you this, and I'm not going to stand up here and make it a dogmatic doctrine. I believe that if we, as we look at Scripture... I believe that the greatest possibility is those that have rejected Jesus Christ now after the trumpet sounds and the church and the Holy Spirit are out of here, they're the ones that are going to be in great delusion. If they are not accepting the truth now, they're going to believe the whole lie of the Antichrist and everything that's there. People sit back and think, oh, well, I'll know. I'll know if, if, if the rapture takes place and those people are out of here, then I'll believe it all. Then I'll become a Christian. I don't believe you have that opportunity, folks. Your opportunity is now. And that's what end-time events, we should be able to look as Christians and say, wow, it's time for our Lord to come back. He could come at any moment. And if you're here this morning, we're getting ready to sing for our closing hymn. Oh, I didn't see. Amber can play it for us. Face-to-face, -face, we're going to play. I, I, the number's on the bulletin there, I think. The truth is, we're going to all stand face to face before the Lord Jesus Christ, before our God. Now, we'll see as we look at this time scale and work through it, the saved and the lost are going to face them at different times and in different places and for different reasons. But we'll all stand face to face. Christian, are you pleased to meet the Lord Jesus Christ today with your life face to face? I know you're not perfect. Boy, just make sure it's all under the blood. Please, God. Make sure that all your traits and comfort, boy, there shouldn't be anything that excites us more than to know we're ready.
to face our Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you're lost, you're going to be at a different judgment. You will stand face to face. Are you ready to face God? Because you see, if you don't face him now and admit that you're a sinner, well, you've got opportunity to put that sin under the blood because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You're going to face him with your own sin when you stand before him at the judgment throne. And then there's nothing can be done about it. So I'm saying, you know, to realize that Jesus Christ is coming and to understand that he can come at any moment. Folks, let's take what he says. Let's let it take our lives. And as Christians, let's, let's let it encourage us and build us up and excite us and set a flame in us to get out there and to win everybody we possibly can to Christ. And if you're here and you're an unbeliever, let it challenge your heart. You may have to face God this day. Are you ready to face him? You can be. You see, none of us like to think about being lost and being sinners. But there's nothing, there's no religion, there's nothing anybody can do except humble yourself as a sinner, accept Jesus Christ as your only hope, as your only answer, as your only sacrifice for your sins. Oh, then. You can wait with excitement, anticipating that trumpet sound. When, if you're still alive, when he comes, you'll be changed. All this old sinful body, sinful flesh will be taken away. 